Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian, the team still without a league win at Celtic Park in almost 13 years and not looking like changing that anytime soon. I'm Laurie Dunsair, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. Congratulations on your award. What, what award's that? 2020 commentator of the year. I mean, Twitter's ablaze with <laughs> praise. I'm just hoping that the 10% we agreed that, uh, that, that becomes uh, that comes to fruition. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great achievement. Great award. Well done. <laughs> Celtic fans seem to like my commentary, which is probably sums up how little of a threat we are when we play at Celtic Park, because I, I guess there's never a chance for me to sound excited and loudly celebrating a heart's goal so i just sound like a neutral commentator um yeah well there you go there's something so but. so so to, to give a backstory to this and it's kind of an interesting backstory as well ewan murray big jambo of the guardian is the golf writer now prior to him being the golf writer the person with that role was Lawrence donegan Lawrence donegan is a big celtic fan and he was the person last night who does a celtic podcast it was very complimentary about your commentary, and rightly so, because I have to say, and it's not because I'm biased, um, but I, I think you're probably, if not the best, certainly in the top two or three of club commentators. <laughs> I thought you were going to do a, a cluff one there. I'm, I'm not the best, <laughs> but I'm in the top one. Yes, well, you, you're up there. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, humble brag and all that. So anyway, Lawrence Donegan, for those of you of a certain age will remember the Bluebells. Young at Heart, remember the song? I remember the song. Yeah, um, so so Lawrence Donegan was in the Bluebells. Oh right, okay. Oh, I didn't I didn't know. And that. he was he was also part of Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. So yeah, not only a Celtic fan, not only a fan of yours, uh, not only a very good golf writer before you and Murray got that gig, but also a very good musician as well. So that then kind of snowballed, and you and Murray got involved. Said, oh yeah, he's he's very good. Much should be should be involved with the BBC. To an extent as well, so I, I'm just I'm just hoping that when you reach that level, you don't forget about little scarves around the funnel that we do every week. That, <laughs> that should be your priority. Just when you when you when you hit the even bigger time, just remember us humble folks. Yes, I, I think that will be a long way off. Um, and uh, when it comes to club commentary, without one to, I guess, blaspheme or, or, or say anything I shouldn't about um, others, uh, the the competition is sometimes um, maybe so biased that uh, it's quite easy to stand out when you act even just a little objective. Um, That's the whole things. thing. That's the whole thing. Because most of them, you'll have heard Celtic TV, you'll have heard Tom uh, yes, on, yes. on Rangers TV and, and the boys up at Aberdeen, who I, I, I love to bits. There, there, There is no second team playing. It's their team or... And I get that. That's what club TV can be about. But there is a there is a, a kind of nod to your style of, yeah, there's two teams playing today and, and the other team at times do deserve credit. And our team, this is the thing, how much stick should a club commentary give the club that they are commentating on and are paid by? It's a tricky one because I've been accused of giving them too much stick before and I've been accused of not giving them enough stick. And as I said to someone after the Kilmarnock game who thought I was being overly complimentary of the first half, which... Maybe if I watched it again, I would think that. And I did say, look, I, I might still have an opinion which differs to others and I might not get it right all the time either. I'm still just a guy watching it. Sometimes I've watched back 
certain things and went, oh, no, I got that wrong, like anyone. So I, it's a hard one. I mean, I, I like to think I've got a bit of leeway that if we're playing terribly, I'm not going to pretend we're not. And if someone in particular is playing terribly, I'm not going to beat around the bush too much. But at the same time, if we're playing well, I'm going to highlight that. And I'd, it's, I, I just, it's one thing I've always said, and I've, I've had people, I've had one person actually I saw on kickback once saying he needs to be more um needs to be more biased completely rose tinted specs it's stop being so objective and I, but, but on the whole i'm like the thing that annoyed me when i listened to club commentary was the fact if you were just listening you can never really trust exactly how things were panning out and, it, and, <laughs> no. if, you, and if you watch and if you watch a game and i've had to watch um celtic rangers tv commentary of hearts games before it's it's laughable sometimes it's like it is just like watching some fan who's had a few too many beers and i've been in the you know, i've been in the hearts end before and been ridiculously biased as you are usually when you're in amongst it it's that mass hysteria as well isn't it it's a lot easier to be objective when you're sitting in the press box than when you're you know fueled up in amongst hearts fans and it, every foul looks like it's going against you and every decision and whatnot and it feels like your team are playing amazingly when they're not and, and whatnot so yeah, yeah you, just, and, and, you want a fair reflection of the game you want to know and if that's the thing. Crap, that's the thing i think there's you've got maybe got a longer leash than the club twitter account and to give you an example yesterday um it was it, it was a a decent first save and then a a routine follow-up save so it's described and understandably so, um, for on the Hearts Twitter, it's a brilliant double save, right? It was a really good first save, and then the follow-up was, was pretty routine. That would have been for anybody. Um, then for the goal, it was described on the Hearts Twitter as parried away, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, loosely speaking, yes, it was parried away, but who was it parried to? Olivier Cham, and, and he scored. And, and there was, from your perspective... We're watching it overseas, right? We we have pictures. We're lucky enough. And I know your commentary is, is it, it has to be like a radio call because yeah. you're doing it in the UK where the majority or everybody in the UK can't, can't see it. But you do have that little bit of a longer leash. And then you can kind of say, you can elaborate, oh, it's not been a, a good few weeks for Joel Pereira. He maybe should have done better with that. Whereas one single tweet, you've got how many? We've got 280 characters. And I totally get why they're doing that. So... That's that's why I think you've got a little bit more of a, a kind of more leeway to do that than the the club kind of Twitter accounts because, in all fairness, does it does it get recorded? Does it get kept? Your commentary it has to I suppose, and just in case something is said, but you can't take back a tweet once it's it's done. You can delete it, but if if you've left it there for long enough, and it's it's of a it's of a Michael Stewart variety comment on BBC <laughs> Sports Sound, then you can be liable for that. As you can be liable for what you say, but yeah, there, there has to be an element of professionalism about both, but but more of a straight bat on the Twitter account for clubs. Indeed. Um, so yeah, can't say it was an enjoyable commentary. Um, mm. uh, the last Been game. There. Um, here, here's an interesting one. A, a friend of mine, we were speaking in the, <clears throat> in the car on the way back and I was like, my record at Celtic Park must be terrible. We both looked at our records, so I, I actually did mine. And um, I've I've been to this is both commentating and just attending as a fan. Um, I've been to fifteen Celtic Hearts games at Celtic Park. We have one zero, drawn two, and lost thirteen, conceding forty two and scoring seven. 
And in the last six visits, we've conceded an average of 3.8 goals a game that I've been there. <laughs> so, Ouch. You, you will have at least had a win there at some point. Were you there for yeah. the... I did the BBC Live game, which was a League Cup tie, I believe. Um, was that the Michael Stewart? The, that was the, that was actually our last win there, 2009, wow. the, the penalty. Wow. Um, and we had yeah. the 2-0 to you a year before that, maybe. Vilicka double also in the League Cup. Mm, one of my favourite ones was the 1-1 game under Burley. Uh, I was there. The I was there the for that one. I was there for yeah. that Yeah. I thought we played well and we had a go. It's, it's an interesting one last night because it looks – it's a 5-0. It's like, it could have been more. It was a thumping in the end. But I was I was heartened by the first half <laughs> performance. They could have scored more than one. They're by the way, they're a right good side. Um and yeah. they're they're a team who at their best, with Rangers at their best, there's still a there's a big gulf. And right now Rangers yeah. are nowhere near their best and Celtic are, are pretty close because they won handily at Motherwell. Um they were excellent in the second half. But something that struck me was Neil Lennon's comments afterwards talking about very few, if any, teams have tried to play that way at Celtic Park, the way Hearts played. But it's all about when you lose the ball, getting back, getting a shape and not allowing them time on the ball. And the the substitution was an interesting one with, with Anthony McDonald going off. It was a weird that he started the game, but he pushed Connor Washington in a more advanced role. And I think it gave them it gave them issues because we were playing higher up the park. So at half time, I'm thinking, well, that could have been a lot worse probably still lose by two or three uh, to concede straight after the second half got underway within 52 seconds, then that that was it. Game over. How many is it going to be? Damage limitation. And, and we weren't even very good at that in the second half. So positives and negatives to be taken from that. Yeah, we will talk about the uh, Celtic Arts game. We'll also talk about the Falkirk Cup game, which preceded it. And we'll look ahead to the now huge match coming up next weekend. Uh, this weekend, rather, uh, against Hamilton Ackies. So before we get into the two matches that have taken place since our last show, uh, the homework was a very, very simple and straightforward one. We were discussing at the end of the show, with the two games coming up, Falkirk away in the Cup, Celtic away in the League, if you could take one win and one defeat, could only get one or the other, would you take a win against Falkirk and a defeat against Celtic? Or a defeat against Falkirk and a win against... Wait, did I say the same thing twice there? No, I didn't. No. Anyway, uh, okay. You know what I mean. So, Mark, you were quite keen on the cup and winning against Falkirk. Yeah, yeah, simply because that's all we get every season. If you're not a Celtic or Rangers supporter, or right now, if you're not a Celtic supporter, the only chance you've got of silverware is, is, is the cup. I just have enough confidence, maybe that's silly, but I have enough confidence yeah. that my team can, our team, can get out of trouble. Um, and it, it, to be honest, Laurie, it went the way that pretty much everyone thought I would go. We'd win against Falkirk and lose against Celtic. But how was the poll result? Well, it went the way that, that I would have. That I said I would prefer a defeat against Falkirk and a win against Celtic if I had to pick one or the other. Not just because we'd rarely win at Celtic, but I, my view was the points are valuable in our battle to stay up and a win away at Celtic would really kick us on for the big games after it, you know, against Hamilton and St Mirren. Uh, so it was 60% went for taking the defeat to Falkirk to the win against Celtic and 40% went the other way around. Uh, a few comments on it. Uh, Anne Waddle said, as good as a cup run would be, points and Premier League survival is more important. So lost tomorrow, this was before the Falkirk game, and a win against Celtic for me. 
Uh, Graham Cuthbertson says, we could win the cup, we can't win the league, and we're not getting relegated either. So that's largely um, what you were what you were saying, your opinion on it. Um, Harry Temple said, we're not guaranteed to either stay up or win the cup, but if we get three points at Dark Heed, highly unlikely, I know, he said, it will at least give us a better chance of staying up, and that is more important than the cup. Um, Andy Dixon also said, cup games are good for momentum, but we need the points. Um, <laughs> a friend of mine, Alistair Steele, said, uh, um, having seen um, this is Watson Brown's cup final cowboy boots, I'm going for a Falkirk win. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen the cowboy boots as well, which apparently will be used if we happen to get to the cup final. And um, yes, uh, interesting to say the least. Um, Preston Pan's heart said Falkirk win, uh, defeat to Celtic. Celtic games don't define our season, and February onwards is usually uh, shit. If we go out the cup early, might be exciting this year with a face palm emoji. Um, heart stats is uh, a Falkirk. A win against Falkirk and a Celtic defeat, we could, though unlikely, win the cup. And Celtic away is probably our least important league game in the current situation, next to much more important. Aberdeen, Aberdeen did us a favour on the Tuesday. They did. Beating Hamilton. So we now have the opportunity, which we might not have had, had Aberdeen not have won, to overtake Hamilton. We do. We do. So it's, it's kind of as we expected, <laughs> apart from the fact that the biggest shock of the week was Aberdeen scoring. It's going three times as well. Unbelievable. Three pints around the foundry in, yeah. in, in Aberdeen. They offered uh, a free pint for every person if Aberdeen scored a goal from open play. Whoever, whoever does their marketing should get their pay doubled. They probably don't even get paid. <laughs> but it, Ian Crocker mentioned it on Sky. We're talking about it. People, I mean, it's a famous enough pub up in Aberdeen. A lot of Aberdeen fans go there, but it's just, it's it's genius. <laughs> they probably thought, <laughs> so what was it someone said? My God, Aberdeen have scored for the first time since Doris Day was a young lass. <laughs> yeah, it, know, would, well, it would have been their worst run in their entire history if they hadn't scored against Hamilton. Wow. But they did, and, and I'm, I'm glad they did. Um, and we're now, what are we, a point adrift, but on the same yes. goal difference. Yeah, indeed. Um but before that, we'll talk about the cup. So um, on Saturday evening in <laughs> ridiculous conditions, torrential rain, um, blustery winds, uh, hearts travelled for an evening game at the Falkirk Stadium against the side second in League One for a place in the quarterfinals of the Cup. They made four changes to the lineup from the 3-2 defeat against Kilmarnock on the previous Wednesday. And, as Mark had, uh, and actually a few people had hoped, they went with the back three. So they started with what was set up as a 3-4-1-2, although we'll probably say the one and the two were fairly flexible. Um, but it was Joel Pereira continuing in goals, uh, Craig Halkett, Michael Smith back in the side, and Clevy Dicamona in the back three. Sean Clare on the right, Ben Guruccio on the left, uh, Marcel Langer and Andy Irving in the centre, Stephen Naismith in the 10 role with Washington and Boyce in attack, although Washington certainly started dropping in, so it was often a 3-4-2-1 if you want to call it that as well. Um, first half. Bit of an odd event. Falkirk would have probably been the more pleased, though. But before we get into more of the game, I should clarify, regardless of 
how we break this one down. I did feel that you had to have a degree of writing this one off, given the conditions and the fact it's a cup tie. It was mainly about, I think, getting through. Um, what did you think of the of the system and how it worked in that first half, though, going to a back three for the first time under Stendhal? What I thought of the system, I thought the system was good. It's what we were hoping for. It just gave them a little bit more protection. How did it work? I don't want to say anything about the Falkirk game as far as wh- how the game was played. I watched the Scotland-England game. It was a farce. That weather does nothing. No. Absolutely nothing for, for games. You can't take anything from... Different players struggle differently. Some adapt better than others to, to conditions like that. So the game plan, it doesn't matter. It, honestly, it, it doesn't matter. That is about getting the result. Yeah, they hit the post or the bar three times. Were we fortunate that we didn't have to do a replay or we didn't lose? Yeah, but, but we're through. And I'll take that. You can't read anything no. into that whatsoever because of those conditions. I, I get that. Um, obviously, second half, we got the penalty first real chance. Well taken by Sean Clare. You're quite right, Falkirk should have levelled two or three times, hit the woodwork three times shortly after. One, the, the one thing I really took from it was I quite liked how we did adapt slightly in that last half hour. I think we'd clearly recognised, right, Conditions are terrible. Falkirk have got a bit of a lift. Pressing them and keeping the game open is not the right move here. And we actually killed the tempo. We killed the game. We, and we just controlled it. And we took the tempo out of it. We took the sting out of it. And we started just knocking the ball around and keeping possession. And I thought that the last 30 minutes, albeit against a League One side, I was actually like, okay, he's, he's had a think here. And he can see that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the second half against St. Johnson, we didn't do that. We didn't recognise that we were starting to get opened up and it maybe should have been a case of let's get our foot on the ball, take the sting out of the game and regroup. We didn't do that and it was to our detriment, although we did get a point in the end. But I thought that was one thing to take from it, that we did actually change slightly and we didn't keep pressing and keep the tempo up. We had the lead. We could see it was not the night for trying to play beautiful football and try and score two, three goals. It was a night for then just getting through I thought that was quite good because we've not we've maybe not seen that enough at times in recent year, in recent games. We're just like adding an element of control and slowing things down a bit. Yeah, our game management of late, uh, especially against Johnson in the second half, was dreadful. So a clean sheet with a goalkeeper like that is a bonus. <laughs> uh, and it's hypocritical of me, given what I said about not taking anything from the game except the win or, or talking specifics, given the conditions. I think. I, I, I need to, well, I said I need to see him play more often. I don't really want to see him play more often. I think Clevy DiCamona is a break glass in case of emergency defender. And I, I think we can do better as a backup than, than him. I mean, I guess one thing, yeah, he, he, had a, he had a very poor game. I guess one thing, I think it's difficult, it's difficult for any player who, who doesn't get involved much to then suddenly get chucked in. I, think I it's, totally agree. Like I think McDonald's it's more, yeah. last night in Celtic, I totally agree. And I think it's even more difficult in a defensive position. I don't know if yes. that's just... But just in a in a position which is a lot about the organisation, the communication with the guys next to you, I, I, he was off the pace. And like he's never going to be more than a, a backup for us anyway, I think. He's not got the quality. You can throw him in in certain games. But yeah, it was a poor one, but yeah, we move on. And Garuccio's another one. Garuccio's another one who is taking his time to find his feet after his injury. Understandably so. He's, he's been out for so long. And you're right, it, it's especially noticeable with the defenders, given the formation and the system that we play, 
where at times we can be left exposed and vulnerable. Talking of exposed and vulnerable, um, let's oh, move careful. on. Let's, <laughs> hey, steady. Let's move on, football, um, to the next game, which was Celtic away. And, um, you know, I ran through some of the stats last week. There's no point in me going through a heap of them again. Basically, we're very bad against Celtic, in particular at Celtic Park. Um, this game would make it 18 wins and one draw from the last 19 matches we've had against them at that ground. Um, so before the game, three changes from the Falkirk win for Daniel Stendhal. Um, started on paper with a 4-2-3-1. So Joel Pereira and goals, Sean Clare right back, John Souter, Craig Halkett, Ben Garuccio. So returning to a back four, uh, Michael Smith and Andy Irving holding McDonald, Naismith, Walker, the three behind Boyce. Although it was more of a 4-1-4-1 at times with Smith protecting the back four. Naismith uh, just really is a central midfielder for a lot of it. Um, as you said, the first half was quite positive. Um, I thought one thing which, you know, Stendhal talked about attacking, and I think everyone, including us to a degree, thought, right, we're going to go out and we're going to press them. But it was a bit more tactical than that. It wasn't sort of gung-ho, but we were sitting off Celtic when we needed to, when they advanced and they got into dangerous areas, and we pressed them when they were maybe had the ball at the back and tried to force errors and get possession back. So I thought it was quite controlled from us and as you say I mean a goalkeeping error aside because regardless of what the tweet said it was a bad one it was a tame shot straight at him yeah maybe he should have been shown onto his left foot by Claire there's little things you can say but it wasn't a great effort from Edward should have been a routine save to be honest I thought it was a catch not even a palm away from what it was it was a catch really and Cham finishes uh, with the volley but you go in at half time thinking I, I think I said at the break, we've given them one clear chance and they didn't score it. You know, the Griffiths one when he hit the side net when he was one-on-one. That's all, really. And I thought we'd been quite controlled. We hadn't tested Forster, really. I mean, Garuccio hit a free kick, but that was quite routine. But we'd done all right. And at that point, it's like, <laughs> been there too many. I can't believe you still have any sense of hope at the break because we've been there so many times. At halftime, you're like, this isn't too bad. If we can keep this up, maybe, maybe get a a half chance, a little break, or an opportunity on the counter-attack, you never know. Um, but the worst thing that can happen in these instances is concede straight away, 45 seconds or so into the second half. One thing, just to quickly ask you, Mark, what do you, so the change, you talked about why I made the change in the middle of the half. Um, clear off, Langer on. I think it had a big impact on how the game changed because we suddenly looked more exposed in our right-back area and we looked a lot weaker in the centre of the park. Yeah, what I would say about that, based on comments from, from Stendhal afterwards, apparently Sean Clare and Michael Smith were touch and go and, and both probably really shouldn't have played. Um, so they were, they were nowhere near 100%. Yeah. So that's that's why clearly that, that change was, was made. But it definitely had a big impact, regardless of the reason, because I thought Michael Smith was doing a really good job um, patrolling in front of the back four, which we've 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 missed at times. Um, I think he does he does that excellently. I think Sibic's shown some flashes of it as well, protecting the defence, picking up the the water carrier, which I think is quite important. We were talking. I was speaking to Barry Anderson before the game. Actually, you know, one of the big problems in recent games has been, you know, Stendhal wanting the fullbacks, um, so Claire and White or Claire and Garuccio to to push on as wing-backs, even wide midfielders, and it, we've been exposed in the full-back areas in the same what 
we need to be doing is getting someone like Smith in there to cover and split the defenders and allow the centre backs to maybe go wide, go wide and cover. And then you've got Smith as your kind of your your third man. And I thought that worked very well in the first half. You know, we we kept Celtic at arm's length for a lot of it. But yeah, second half Smith he does look better in the centre now than he does at right back. And uh, Langer very early, but wasn't a good half for him. Um, you know, I think he was run ragged a little bit in the middle. Um, the goal, so the second goal and then the fifth goal, but the second goal, which really is what I think killed us, any hope went at that point. Zonal marking. Um, I'm not a fan generally of zonal marking, especially from corners. And against a team like Celtic, when you've got Ayer, Julien and Shimunovic all at the back, all very tall, all looked taller than any of our players, very good in the air. I just don't think you can zonal mark. I think the only way zonal marking for me really works is if you've got, if you're confident enough and the players you've got are big enough and good enough in the air that they will attack the ball wherever it goes and win it. But see, when you've got our players, even Suterum um, Halkett were a fair bit shorter than the likes of Julian, I just think you're asking for those easy goals. And corners, statistically, corners aren't actually very likely to lead to goals in modern football, they always say. It's percent- unless, you're playing, unless you're playing hearts. Unless you zone on mark. Because we say it's it's always, even if you even if you know you're not likely to win the header against someone, if you're man marking, you know, you can get into a tussle, you can nudge them around, you can stop them getting a free run at the ball at least. So I just, it's one of these things where, you know, you, there's a lot of criticism of the previous regime, and a lot of things, but this is this is obviously purely Stendhal's approach. I really don't like it, especially from corners. I think I would just change it completely. I just don't think we can make it work. No, I'm not a fan of zonal marking. I prefer man to man. Look, my experience at professional football level amounts to simply commentating on it or reporting <laughs> on it. Yes, so yeah. the guys I've spoken to the boys at work about it as well. Shaka Hislop said when he played, he preferred when they were defending man-to-man, because you, you then know if, if he scores, what's well, your fault, mm-hmm. whereas there's a bit more blame. And the other thing for the guys who weren't goalkeepers and, and they were trying to attack space or trying to defend space, a, a lot of them preferred playing against zonal marking simply because you can get a run. Um, yeah, and you, you, saw, can... you saw Celtic try to do it from corners after they of scored. Co- of course. Julian was course. hovering. Yeah, and look, what is he? He's at least six four, six five, or something. He's very tall, yeah. and he's really good in the air. You don't want to be, you don't want to be Craig Halkett or John Suter standing with no no run up, no back no left to jump, with a six foot four, six foot five yep. guy running at you, ready to power ahead. And you've got absolutely no hope. It's like the basketball, the pick and roll. You've, ah, you've yeah. got to be, you've got to be in a position to. How do you deal with someone? I mean, I'm watching Milan against Juventus right now. It's just it's gone nil nil at half time, but. When the ball comes in, how do you deal with Ronaldo running at pace into an area if you're not man-to-man marking them and you're playing zonally and you've got to, pretty much from a standing start, uh, you've got to stop Ronaldo or, or Ibrahimovic or, or whatever from hitting the targets. It's difficult. If, if it's done right zonal, it can be all right. But everyone has to know their their, their place. And I, I prefer man-to-man, but it's, it's, it's different. You, you can look more into this one and dissect it more after a 5-0 thumping and seeing the goals that we conceded. And some of them were... To be honest, Pereira at fault for the first. Didn't really have any complaints about any of the rest of them. But a couple of things. One, never mind his confidence being shot. 
And I was reading about Bielsa talking about Kiko Casilla at Leeds because he's he's a bag of nerves right now as well, Casilla. And he's talking about if he, he doesn't feel the, the goalkeeper's confidence is shot. He feels that the defenders still have faith in the goalkeeper. Our defenders have got nothing, no faith whatsoever, no confidence left in our goalkeeper. And as Craig Fowler pointed out on Twitter with a, a photo from last night, straight after Celtic had scored, with little circles of all the players, the Hearts players, looking at Pereira or just distraught. They've, they've lost total confidence. And you can have the best defenders in the world, whoever they may be, but if you don't have confidence in what's behind you, you're not as good as you can be as a centre-back or, or as a defender. Yeah, it was it was, it was interesting. I mean, um, Lawrence Donegan, who you, you were mentioning there, I mean, he, he said about the game that he thought, it's, it's sometimes interesting to get someone's view who's not a Hearts fan, you know, who hasn't maybe mm-hmm. watched this much. And he said he thought we were very decent until the first goal in the first half. And then what happens afterwards in the second half didn't ogre well for the rest of the season. And I think one of the things, the way we are just now, confidence just generally in the team, not just Pereira or, or whatnot, is massive. And I think the, the arse really did fall out of things in that second half. When that second goal went in, you can just see it drain. And as soon as things start going against us now, it's it, it goes from the extreme. You know, it's you can see the first half. You can see the potential with the team, the potential what we could do, you know, almost matching Celtic. But when things go wrong just now, it just... It, doesn't take much for us to com- just completely lose it and everyone starts um, just underperforming basically in that second half you know you just it was just going to be a matter of how many Celtic could score and again what was frustrating and it's not the first time in recent years that I've said this at Celtic Park they absolutely hammered us and they were good in the second half but I still didn't feel like they were actually playing at full tilt I still felt like they were only maybe third or fourth gear but that's all they needed against us they we were just making it so easy for them this week's analogy is as follows the first half was like eating a foul curry it was like oh this isn't as bad as i thought (laughs) the second half was two or three hours later after a foul curry (laughs) whereas you just said the arse fell out of it that's exactly (laughs) what That's exactly what happened last night. So the second half hearts were stuck on the shitter, basically. Every team that goes there (laughs) is in and around hearts and will be competing, hopefully, um, with us for uh, the the, the spaces at the bottom of the table. They'll probably lose by a few at Celtic. That's a free hit. What we tried to do, or what we hoped, and I don't want to downplay the fact, we could beat 5-0. Now, Football's a game of momentum, or can be, especially when you're in the predicament we're in. And I hope that isn't too harmful. A, a 2-0 defeat, I think everyone, every Hearts fan would have probably have signed up for a, a 2-0 defeat. Um, we, got, we got beaten 5-0. Now, uh, hopefully that doesn't harm them too much. Um, but the damage limitation, we, we were unable to do. So it's not like Hamilton are going to go there and, and probably take something, or St Mirren, or, or, or whatever. These next two games for Hart, are the biggest two games that we have played in a number of years. Home to Hamilton, away to St Mirren. And on that note, we shall move on and talk about the games that are coming up. In particular, the next one. So, it is now the biggest game of easily the season, as you mentioned, in recent years as well. Given the... um, I guess the potential consequences of 
of failure in these games and the, and this season going down the financial implications and just uh, I guess for the whole feeling around the club but you know it's staying up is is absolutely imperative yes absolutely huge especially the first one so first off it's it's Aki's who are a point ahead of us and like you say it's probably almost really the best we could have hoped for this time last week that we were still and I, I think I actually said that if I remember rightly um what do I want by the t- this time next week? I think you asked me, and I said that we go into the Aki's game knowing that a win puts us above them. And that's where yep. we're at. Same goal difference, as you said, although I think we're worse off by virtue of goals one, scored. One goal scored if, less. So if a, a it draw, ended yeah, right now. Yeah, if it ended right now, we would, we would in typical heart style. In, in 65, <laughs> had it been the other way around with 86, know, we would have won both. So yeah, typical heart style. Right now, we would be relegated by one goal. Um, and in typical heart style, we have to pick the team to fight against at the bottom of the table who have the same letter as us. So if even if it came down to alphabetical Good, decision, second we would lose by the second vowel in the alphabet compared to the first. That is so hearts. <laughs> um, St. Mirren currently four points ahead. Uh, they've got a potentially hard game away to Motherwell, but of course our focus will be on the Aki's game. So, I, I mean, some kind of comfort. Um, 20 games unbeaten at home to Aki's, dating back to 1977. We've had 70 wins and three draws since then, although two of the three draws have come in the last three meetings at Tynecastle. Um, it, it's a battle of two teams that don't win very much at the moment. Uh, Aki's two wins from 19 league games. Um Hearts uh, with the same from 20 league games. Um, one of Aki's two wins was, of course, against Hearts in the last meeting. Uh, but look at the game. Okay, so from a Hearts perspective, this is obviously huge. It is an absolute must win. I think if we lose on Saturday, I have to say, I'm, I think we're going to be going down. I know there's a long way to go, but I think that would be writing on the wall almost. Um, I think we'll win. I, I actually, and I don't know... I know you're going to say you're going to have to curb my enthusiasm very quickly. I don't just want to win. I want a convincing win. I, I think we need it. I think we need to build confidence. I think we need to show that not only can we win the game, but give players, fans belief that we are actually better than Aki's. And, you know, I want us to finish 10th still. I still wouldn't take 11th if you gave it to me right now. Um, so I'll hand over to you in a second, but I want a win. I want a convincing win. And I want us to play back four again. Mm, okay. How about you? Well, yeah, there's a few things to talk about here. If we play back <laughs> three, if we play back three, they're going to go one up top. So in essence, do we need a back three? So I actually, I, I, I believe that even though I wanted to play a three at Falkirk, um, just to give more protection, I think we're going to have more of the ball. We're going to have most of the ball. I mean, this, and this is maybe where it comes back to bite us on the bum. I'm in the same camp as you. I think we'll win this. And I know I said I think we'll win by a couple at Falkirk and we only won by one. I think we win this by two or three. Um, what am I basing that on? Well, more in hope than expectation. They, right now, are down to the bare bones. The words of Brian Rice, uh, after Brian Easton was ruled out for several weeks after being injured and carted off against Aberdeen on, on Tuesday. The alarm bells for me, I'm calm. The alarm bells for me are, aren't aren't ringing. They have not rung yet. No. As far as you could be playing in the championship next season, those alarm bells will ring if we lose this. Yeah. 
because we should not be losing this. We have much better players than them, but this is where I mentioned last week about being too good to go down and how that doesn't exist. The caveat here is West Ham United, and we've done a piece on ESPN FC this week about potentially who's going to go down. You'll not find a bigger fan of, of West Ham than, than Shaka Hislop as far as former players are concerned. That was the team he played for a few, but yeah. that, was, that was his team. He loved playing there. He's got them going down. He feels, while they have better players than the teams around them, I said to him, do you trust them? Would you want them alongside you in the trenches? And he said no. That would be my concern with Hearts right now. Having better players than the, the players are, than the teams around you is all fine and good. But if you're not prepared to battle, if you don't have that experience of, of battling, Hamilton do, St Mirren do, we don't. Now, I think our ability, I, th- I think the guys like Naismith, I think we've got the perfect candidate for captaincy and the perfect player for that as well. Liam Boyce. I mean, Boyce walks into any team in Scotland out with Celtic and Rangers. Yeah, and, okay. I, and I actually thought, um, just sorry to interject there, I, I, again, we were speaking about it on the way home. He, he, he was one of my positives from the Celtic game. Although he didn't get much service, I thought he held up very well and he just looks to have quality in attack that we've missed for years, just in terms of getting the ball down, skipping away from challenges, holding players off, playing players in. Wasn't the game for him, obviously Celtic, but I think if we get him the ball and get him support, I think we'll do a lot of damage with him up front. Not just him scoring, but players playing off him as well. We paid approximately circa 150000 for Liam Boyce, and he's on about six grand a week. Okay, It could be a snip at that, because he's a goal scorer. He's a goal scorer, a penalty box score we've not had for years. Rangers end up getting Camberry, a Hibs reserve striker. Could they not have paid six grand a week and 150 grand? <laughs> Some Rangers fans say, no, they don't even have that because there's seven million on Kent and whatever. So I, I, I say out with Celtic and Rangers, Celtic were really good strikers, okay? Forget yeah. them. Rangers, okay, without Defoe, Boyce is, Boyce is perfect for that team when Morelos doesn't play. And they decided, the other, would they have known about him? I don't know. It's all surmising. We knew about him. Stendhal had played against him when he was at Barnsley and Liam was at uh, Burton Albion. He's, he's the best striker outside the old firm. Um, you can argue Cosgrove. Cosgrove's different. Cosgrove's been benched. Aberdeen can't score right now. Motherwell, I take voice over anything that they have. Hibbs, I like the boy McNulty, I have to say, but I'd still, I'd still take voice over it. But they're, they've, they've, got, they've got a decent player in, in McNulty. So I... There's no excuses. The only excuse is, well, why doesn't he get more of the ball? It's all about service. This is a game we're going to get a lot of the ball. We have to give him service. Again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried. I'm not worried because I'm confident. Again, it's just blind stupidity, loyalty, whatever it is. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm as sure as I can be that we'll get three points. Yeah. Then, if, if, if we don't, if we don't, then I, I along with, I'm sure, many, many others, have to sit down and kind of go, we've been flummoxed again. Mm-hmm. This is this has happened before. What is going on? Who's the goalkeeper going to be on Saturday? That's the key thing. Bobby. Now, it's got to be. It has got to be, right? Because Colin Doyle's out of favour. It's got to be Bobby's Lamal. Is he as good with his feet? No, but he's he's got more. The confidence has got to be there. It, it's not ideal, but this is this is what we have. 
yeah. right well, now. Well, let's, so, be, let's think, be honest. None of those three keepers no, will be will be will be not. in between the sticks when we start next season. There's no, absolutely I, I no want, chance. Yeah. I want the best goalkeeper between the sticks right now for what's in front of him and yeah. the confidence that they have. But if you look by and go, thank God, it's not it's not Pereira. It, it, it could be anybody. It could be a fan from the stands, but it's not going to be Pereira, right? So it, it's got to be Zlamal. And if it's not Zlamal, this will then get interesting because we've heard all this talk about, oh, is there this agreement that he's got to play if he's available or or whatever, the whole 750 grand. I even heard today the suggestion that he's on 20 grand a week, say, for example, at Man United. And if, if he doesn't play, Hearts have got to pay most of that. If he does pay, play, then Hearts don't have to pay that much. There's all sorts of conjecture and whatever. No one really knows the truth. But the bottom line is, as much as Daniel Stendel has been lauded and, and, and he's come in and, and we're delighted that, that he's here, he's not Craig Levine, he's tried something different, that would be, for me, the first question mark, and I know it's still early, of Daniel Stendel's reign if Joel Pereira ends up between the sticks against Hamilton this weekend. To the extent that... His assistant, George or Jorg Sievers, played for Hanover over 300 times as a goalkeeper. So if they honestly think that he remains the best option and he is in goal against Hamilton, I'll be, I'll be a bit bemused by that. Jorg Sievers? He's, he's 54. Henry Smith was still playing at 50 odd, was he not? Thank you, kid. He's in good condition, in good shape as well. He's in good. Going back to something you said last week as well, who's the kid, Harry? Harry Stone. I, honestly, I, I haven't I haven't seen him. And I know that I, I keep tabs on the Hearts Twitter account and whatever, and I know he wasn't on the bench or starting. Kelby Mason was involved or whatever. I think they played Hamilton in, in the reserves. Um, I don't know how he's doing, but if he's highly rated. I said last week I wouldn't throw him in. I might have to hastily retreat and, and change yeah. change my mind if 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 it is Bobby, which we really hope it is, and he struggles as well. Whew. What age is the kid? Harry Stone is seventeen. He turns eighteen in April. Um, Craig Gordon was chucked in at eighteen. And it's funny. I'm watching Milan, right? And I commentated on them at the oh, weekend yeah, against yeah. Inter. Donnarumma. Sixteen like, was he when he came in? Why he was on the bench at fifteen? And that's the thing. Now he's Donnarumma. He's, he's, he's 20 now and he's been, uh, he's been outstanding for long spells um, since he came into the team. Uh, it's all about mentality as well. You've got to know the player. Uh, is, is he a 17-year-old going on a 25-year-old mentally? Is he a 17-year-old who you'd worry about throwing him in? I don't know. That's only questions that people who work with him can answer. But, but right now, the, this, this is a situation, this is a position you don't mess with. And if you keep playing Pereira, my hopes will dwindle that we could stay up, regardless of what we've got at the other end of the pitch. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously, and we've said it before, and we know that well, Stendhal likes him um, because of how good he is. And he is, he's, I don't think I've seen a Hearts goalkeeper as good with the ball at his feet than Pereira. But I equally haven't seen many as bad with their hands. And ultimately, it doesn't matter how good you are at controlling the ball and taking it around a striker or passing out from the back, if you can't stop basic shots and you're spilling them and you're leading to goal, goal after goal after goal, it's irrelevant how good you are with your feet because the basics are, it's it's like a defender who's brilliant with the ball at his feet but misses every cross and gets 
and gets the ball taken around him every time the defense uh, uh, the attack the attackers are running at him. It's useless. It doesn't matter. You've got to have, the, tr- yeah. you've, you've got to have the trust of what's in front of you. Exactly, and you, you saw that. You... I was going to say you saw the reaction. A lot of people did some freeze frames after the first goal. <laughs> the reaction of at least three or four Hearts players, either head and hands looking at. Pereira are looking quite annoyed at Pereira. One of them looks like to be shouting at him after he's letting the first goal. You know, when when the defence lose the trust in that point, and the thing is, I think the defence lost trust in Bobby as well, but maybe they can, maybe he can get it back. I don't know. Um, personally, if I could pick out the three, I'd probably put Doyle in there because I think he's the least tainted. <laughs> but apparently he's not done well for the reserves. And yes, the rumour is, things are not all that well between Doyle and and management so I think it just has to be Bobby it's it's the the lesser of the evils I think that we've got. yeah it's, it's ABJ anyone but Joel it reminded me of a modern day version of Edvard Munch the artist remember the scream that painting? Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all the that's what the Hearts defenders were like <laughs> after the first goal went in that that was the modern day Edvard Munch and the scream art, that uh, concession of the first goal and Hart's defence's reaction to their goalkeeper. I don't know. I don't think I don't think there'd be that much surprise anymore in the looks of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be like the Mona. Yeah, the Mona Lisa next. I'd just be like sitting there. Yeah, okay, fine, whatever. Next, <laughs> you think I was shocked? Yeah, really. Okay, nonplussed. So we've um, gone we've gone highbrow, haven't we? We've gone very highbrow. You're getting you're getting you're getting praise from former Guardian writers. I'm I'm talking about Norwegian expressionist art. Uh, Jesus Christ! People are tuning in, going, "What the hell is this podcast all about?" I've turned off, turned off. We'll have have, we'll have less (laughs) listeners at this point than I did last night by the ninetieth minute. Yeah, five nil. Oh dear. Um, Okay, so we're fairly confident. We'll have a change of keeper, and we're fairly confident we'll get the result against uh, against Aki's. I mean, I'm quite keen to, in all honesty, I think I would probably go with the team that we had at the half-hour mark minus Pereira, um, as in Washington. I'd rather play with 10. Just go Aye, play with yeah. a goalkeeper. But you know, Play sweeper-keeper. Clear it, clear it right back. Grucho at left, uh, Suter Halk in the middle. Smith and Irving in front, Washington, Naismith, Walker, supporting Boyce. Um, I know some people might say, oh, that's one up front, but I'm talking about having one up front with three players. Yeah, it's a front four. I, I'm, and I don't like this Naismith sitting deeper. I prefer him to be in that number 10 role, buzzing around in the dangerous positions where I think he's most effective. Leave the, the deeper stuff to Smith as the, the water carrier and Irving as the deep playmaker. Let Naismith, Walker... Washington, they maybe swap around that three, either side or whatever, but let them be the attacking three and focus on interplay with Boyce, opening up the defence, play on the front foot. And, and for whatever bizarre reason, with the ridiculous run we've been on, I'm confident that we're going to win and we're going to win comfortably. It's famous last words. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And the, the, the whole Naismith thing as well, he needed, it's just, look, with a, a lack of someone in there, um, I know I know he was deeper in the first half when when even when Michael Smith was still on the field, but yeah, you want him to be doing it. It, it can be a front four with we're probably going to end up with more than sixty percent of the ball. We have to give Boyce service. Uh, Jamie, Jamie Walker's been one of the pluses of recent weeks, just the reemergence yes, yeah. of him. Not, not not at the level that that we remember him, 
but slowly getting there. Uh, I'd, I'd play him and his experience over a, a Henderson or a, a Lewis Moore. Um, I just, yeah. I, I think as well, if, we, if, if from what you're talking about the Hamilton um, game and wanting to win comfortably, I agree with that because I think it then sets you up perfectly, doesn't it, for the St Mirren game. If we lose or we draw, I mean, where does where does that leave us? I've I've read I've, I've read Hamilton. I've read comments as well, and, and and Hamilton fans, to be honest, from what I was looking at on Twitter, I just looked at some of their comments from the Aberdeen game as well. They're they seem to be resigned to going down a lot of them. And well, look at the odds. Look at the. I went for the first time. I thought, can I? Should I? Just for a look to see with Hearts at the bottom of the table. Hearts are still like third or fourth in the betting to go down. The bookies, I think they've got them at 11 to 2, which if you think they're going to go down, it's a massive price. But Hamilton are the favourites. Uh, I think they're odds on. I think they're 8 to 13 or, or whatever they are, but they're certainly the favourites. And for good reason. They're getting injuries at the wrong time. Um, they've they've punched above their weight over the last few years. They've they've done what Livingston are doing just now, and and that Livingston shouldn't be anywhere near where they are in the table with the the resources that they've got, and they've done brilliantly. Gary Holt and, and everyone at Livingston, as have Hamilton over the last few years since they got up in that penalty shootout against Tabernian. To just just survival for them is a great achievement. I think it's a season too far, but if there's any complacency for Hearts or they struggle, or, or whatever, Hamilton could do it again, because this is the whole key thing. They have experience of fighting and battling. We don't. I'm, I'm not saying that's a leveller, but it's certainly the pendulum swings more towards their side of the thing when, when it comes to that. Yeah, and that's why I think, obviously a win, <laughs> we take a win of any kind, but I would like us to make a statement to make it look like, right, there is a clear gulf between these two sides. Give the players a confidence. Think, right, we are much better than them. We should be staying up, but staying up comfortably ahead of this team. I, you know, a defeat, although it would be, it would give us the same amount of points. I don't know. It just to me, you know, the mental side of it to me would still be the psychological side is still winning a battle with them. It was tight. I want to... Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to talk about St Mirren because we don't know what's happened in the Hamilton game and we will have a show before St Mirren. But it would set us up nicely for that game. And St Mirren, I think, is I'm actually I'm fairly confident we'll, we'll finish above Hamilton. St Mirren, I'm optimistic, but not so much. I think they could be a different challenge. Um, but we'll talk about that next time. And before we go, do you have any homework to throw out there? Is anything popped into your mind off the cuff maybe something to do with goalkeepers i don't want to accentuate <laughs> the negative the negativity um just i mean a, a, a simple what about favorite goalkeeping performance okay. over the years and we've we've had individual saves we've done something like that before about your favorite save and we've had henry smith against tommy Coyne at Tynecastle. we've had craig gordon against david clarkson but just Memorable, how about memorable goalkeeping performances? So you could have Ian Baird at Pitodre. I'm not talking, <laughs> it doesn't have to be wow moments, just things that stick in your mind for whether it's quirky reasons, whether they, they played an absolute blinder, and it doesn't have to be specifically wearing a Hearts jersey. It, it can be 
it can like the Tommy Turner thing I mentioned as, as well a few weeks ago when he went and goal and we thumped them five nil. That was very pleasing against St Johnston. So could be, be hips goalkeepers of old, Mark Alambi. Yeah, just 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 <laughs> anything, anything that just goalkeeping memories mm. with a very wide scope. Okay, um, goalkeeping just, memories. Yeah, some of your yeah, favourite goal, goalkeeping, goalkeeping memories. memories, whether they're hearts or not hearts, it's, or whether they're goalkeepers or outfielders. It's funny. It's, it's a hard one sometimes to remember overall, particularly good performances. Like you remember certain saves. Yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe, yeah, so maybe it's more quirky than anything else. I mean, I remember, I think it might have been one of the things that triggered, this isn't to do with Hearts, it was just a game that I was commentating on, one of the things that triggered um, them having a goalkeeper on the bench, I believe, was Jim Layton getting Hart in the cup final at the turn of the century. and I believe Robbie Winters had to go and goal for Aberdeen. Um, so... There's always something about outfielders going in goal. Have you ever seen a goalkeeper score? I've never been able to commentate on one. I've seen, I've had a few that have come close. Uh, I remember Hebs, Andy Gorham scored, I believe, against Morton at, at Easter Road. Have you ever been to a game? No, not with Hearts, obviously, because I don't think we've had goalkeepers that have scored. Just, just something, just goalkeeping memories, and it can be as wide ranging as you want. How about that for your homework for next week? Let's try and get a positive slant on a goalkeeping situation <laughs> associated with Hearts. I do remember Antinieme scoring for Fulham, and I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I'm just just following him after he left Hearts. So I was a big fan of of Niemi. And, Was that uh, clearance, or was it him going up? Later? No, it was going up. If I remember rightly, they were two one down, and I think it levelled to to get a two two draw. I think it was Fulham and not Southampton because obviously he played for both of them down there. Um, I think. I'd have to I'd have to look up. It's just a bad. I do remember him scoring late on. I feel like it was a a goal to to get a draw. But um, I'll, I'll look that up. I'll see if I can find out before next time, rather than drag things out and try and look it up now. So yeah, favorite goalkeeping memories uh, in Hearts games ideally, and it can be Hearts goalkeepers. It can be opposition. It can be good memories. It can be quirky memories as well. So let us know. You can tweet at around the funnel, and you can email podcast at scarves around the funnel. .co.uk. Um, before we go, uh, just a little bit of promotion that someone has asked me to add. Um, it's something called uh, something that's going to be launched in Edinburgh this year. It's called Man v Fat. So it's Man v Fat Football. Um, it's uh, an FA-endorsed 14-week football league exclusively for the 68% of UK men who are overweight or obese. It's launching in March 2020. It's their second league in Scotland, um, following a successful start north of the border, apparently, uh, in 2019. Um, Players are rewarded for weight loss performance, as well as footballing performance. It's key to the programme's success. Um, 90% of players losing weight in Man V Fat leagues across the country, apparently, and some players lose up to £70 during a 14-week league. Um... It's been set up uh, by uh, Andrew Shanahan, who himself lost five stone, was fed up with weight loss classes aimed just at women. Uh, Apparently, this one combines the beautiful game with easy-to-follow diet and lifestyle advice, as well as 24-hour-7 support. So there's like a weigh-in, like... um, you get with like your kind of Weight Watchers, but then it's followed by a 30-minute six-a-side game of football, and extra goal bonuses are awarded depending on the pounds lost by the players, so it becomes a big team effort. Um, you like this, Mark, with players choosing team names such as 17 Stone Roses, um, Borussia Munching Flapjack, 
Um, and <laughs> Obesity. You see that one? Very that's good. Yeah, good. that's good. That's quite good. Uh, apparently, players can join up. You can go to their website, which is www.manvfat.com slash football. Uh, more information. Um, there's a number on there. You can email as well. And apparently, the new league will be at the Pepper Mill Playing Fields in Edinburgh, Thursdays 8 till 10, apparently. But uh, don't quote me on that. Go on the website and you can find out. So uh, someone just asked if I'd promote that. Sounded quite good. Um, so why not? Um, Man v. Fat. There you go. When was the last time you played football, Mark? Played. For for the Radio Forth All Stars. Okay. I was I, or the Radio Forth Nay Stars. Um, <laughs> I played in a team with Robbo once, which was oh, okay. well, I say I played. I was on the bench and I never got on. I maybe got a minute. You still you would you would have still got a medal if it was a cup final. Yeah, if cup final. I, <laughs> The most bizarre story was playing up front with Bob Malcolm. Bob's a former radio DJ at Radio 4. Right? Bob's in his 70s now. Not, not, so, not Rangers Bob Malcolm. Not Rangers Bob Malcolm. <laughs> and we, we, we played at uh, Turnhouse. We played against Turnhouse Golf Club. And Tom Brown, the referee, I think I've mentioned him before, um, big, tall Tom Brown from many, many years ago, uh, was, was a member at the golf club, so he refereed for us. And blindside of him, the ball came in, and I did a sly punch. I wasn't getting to it, but I kind of threw my body towards okay. it, my ample frame, and punched it in. And, and the goal counted because the referee didn't see it. Um, but Tom Brown, it was also the referee that in a Hearts game at Dundee at Dens Park, where I, and I can't remember who slammed the ball clear. It was a defensive clearance, and it whacked off his wrist. And it was it wasn't broken, but it was it was severely damaged. He then. Had to, whether he was replaced, I don't know. If anyone was at the game and can remember, please uh, enlighten us. But I remember at halftime, or whenever it was, he limped off. And to this day, I'm still wondering how a sore wrist emanates into a, <laughs> a, a limp, limp from, from a referee. So, so yeah, there's, there's a long-winded... I've, I've kind of been more succinct in my answers today, so... Um, we, we needed a tangent and we needed a long-winded answer. So, so there, I've managed to get a, a limping referee with a sore wrist into when was the last time you played football, Mark. There you go. Back back to normal. Back, back to, to normal. normal. I, I can't even remember. I think I played a Sunday league game about eight or nine years ago um, for a team I'd played for a year or two prior. They were shorter players. Um Having played a game of five sides or anything for quite a few years, so maybe I should. Maybe, maybe, maybe man v fat. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a bit of a punch. Oh, so you're not, you're not talking about potentially trying out for Hearts goalkeeper then? It's more um, to do with what you were, what you God, were talking about. God, no. I've, I've got horrible memories of, of going in goals before. Um, I, I remember <laughs> school football. I'm, I'm reasonably tall. I'm not, as, not as tall as you, but I'm over six foot. So sometimes if the keeper didn't turn up. Like, Laurie, do you want to go in goals? I, I didn't. I hated it, but I agreed. And I've, I've got some horrible memories of... of let, I let a pass back slip under my foot once as well. Um, ooh, ooh. So, and there was one game where I think I conceded four, and it was Pereira-esque. It was, yeah, they were straight through me a few times. But I wasn't a goalkeeper, and I was like 10 or something, so I had an but excuse. But it's, it's, it's in my family. It's in my family because my Uncle Ali who's now in his mid-70s, played in goal for Dundee for many, many years in the 60s and 70s. Okay. Also had a, had, I didn't had, know a that. Season at, had a season at Hibs, 
Um, and he played alongside Craig Patterson, who I went to, to or who, who ended up working with me at Radio Fourth. And they played a game against Celtic in a League Cup tie. And my uncle Ali conceded four goals. I think it might have been his debut, um, along with Craig Patterson and the abuse that they were getting. But yeah, Ali, Ali played in the what, what is now the Europa League was the UEFA Cup, and when he played it was the Fairs Cup. Yeah, he played in the semi-final for Dundee against Leeds in the late sixties, and um, conceded a goal to Jackie Charlton. That was the only goal in the tie, and they lost it one nil on aggregate. But he couldn't. Here's the other story about him that you you don't really care anymore, and you probably switched off. But for those still tuned in, Ali would have been the Celtic goalkeeper had Dundee or had Jock Steen uh, authorised, or whoever it was, the board authorised a payment of another, I think he, Ali told me it was like another two grand. This was just after they'd won the, the European yeah. Cup. I think it was 1969. And I believe instead, because Dundee were adamant that they wanted 15 or 16,000, Celtic weren't prepared to go as high as that. So I believe they went out and signed Evan Williams instead. And the rest is history. So he, he stayed, went Dundee, uh, had a spell at Hibs, Wraith Rovers. Um, I'll maybe have a word with him and see what he's doing this weekend. If Pereira <laughs> still gets the jersey, then we can uh, we can start a campaign, uh, along with the one to get Michael Stewart back onto the BBC oh, to have not, someone I, else I, I, in. Someone, is he oh, not, is he not? No, this is the, the last couple of uh, couple of minutes. The Sun's put a story out saying the suspension has been uh, increased, so he'll not be on anything and now ah, until okay. at least next week. So. Apparently not on sports scene uh, tonight. Uh, what what a mess! What an absolute mess! Yes, this let's, whole this whole thing is. <laughs> let's let's not open that can of worms just when we're about to go. <laughs> um, but we will be back next week, and hopefully we will have something more positive to talk about than the last league game. Uh, so yeah, until then, enjoy the game of the weekend, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Fuck it,